don't let the ghosts and the ghouls disturb you, darling. with all of you savages and degenerates. Raj Gallardi here to bring you another dose of verbal aggression with this week's episode of The Call to Violence. whole bunch of stuff to get into today. We got recaps of UFC. We got Yo Romero's debut in Bellator. Um, we got UFC 266 this weekend. And I almost forgot about uh, Joshua and Usyk for the heavyweight belt um, this weekend as well on Saturday. Uh, we got retirements and a lot more. So as always, let's get right into the thick of things. Um, let's start with UFC since it happened first. Um, we had Anthony Smith, um, defeat Ryan Spann in the first round by submission after pretty much getting it done on the feet. Excuse me. Oh boy. Excuse me. Chug too much water before doing this intro. Um, anyways, um, yeah, uh, Anthony Smith chokes out Ryan Spann. Um, hurts him on the feet. You know, Ryan was really was never in this fight. Anthony took over from the get go. Um, submits him by rear naked choke three minutes and 47 seconds into that first round. Um, you know, you know, the, the real takeaway after this fight is that, um, Anthony Smith was, uh, actually in a, um, very, very rare spot going into this fight. Very rarely do you see guys, um, once they reach the top of their division, even if they don't, um, win the belt, you, you rarely see them go back and kind of fight outside of the top 10. Um, This close to being removed from his title fight. You know, usually once you get that name, uh, once you get that notoriety and you, you know, you don't capture the belt or you don't um, kind of make that marketable move, UFC just starts kind of like pitting you against their their next up-and-comers, which kind of started to happen with uh with smith with his losses to glover which i think was actually supposed to be i think it was billed as a rebound or on the ufc's eyes it was billed as like a a a nice rebounding fight for anthony smith um even though he uh you know let's just take a look at that real quick What, what was the exact order of of um his last couple fights let's see that real quick Yeah, so loses to Jones. Okay, actually, so never mind. So he loses to Jones. He rebounds greatly against Gustafson and ends up choking out Gustafson. That was a crazy, crazy, crazy fight. But then goes on the two-fight skit against Glover Teixeira where he got absolutely beaten down, Alexander Raddick. And then, you know, after those two fights, especially coming off of that Glover defeat, you know, you didn't really know where Anthony – or, you know, you you only expected the worst out of Anthony Smith. Um you know, you're looking at a guy who's super experienced, been in the game a long time, gets all the way to the top to John Jones, comes up short, and then, you know, gets beaten down by uh, Glover to share. And you're kind of thinking to yourself, okay, we've seen the best of what this guy has. He had a nice little run there, and now he's just kind of kind of bottom out and fight at a low level. You saw kind of some, um, you know, you kind of saw the the hesitant nature in the, in the Raddick fight, which is kind of evident of when a guy takes a beating 
uh, like in the Glover fight. So you, you're just expecting him to have kind of maybe not as bad of performances, but definitely like, you know, um, performances where you're not seeing the old Anthony, the old aggressive Anthony, the old in-your-face crazy, you know, wild Anthony. And then, you know, um, takes a little bit of time off, comes back, uh, rebounds against Devin Clark, who's outside the top 10, has a good fight against Jimmy Crew, again, outside the top 10, uh, and then has another fight with Ryan Spann. And it's very rare that you get three fights in a row when, it, you know, when you're um, in the UFC where you're, you're fighting outside of where you've already been, right? Usually you, you may get one of these fights, you may get a Devin Clark, but then once you beat a Devin Clark, you're right back in there in the top five where the UFC tries to build the other guys in that, uh, you know, in that five to one space to get a title shot. Uh, but he got three in a row, and he looked great in all of them. And you're, you're not only are you seeing like the old um, aggressive Anthony, you're seeing a refined Anthony uh, again in the Devin Clark fight. Um, takes Clark down, um, and then ends up choking him out off of his back. And the Jimmy Crute fight used his jab. He knew Jimmy was going to come in super aggressive. Like Anthony usually does, so what did uh, what did Anthony do? He just jabbed him. He stayed behind his jab, kept pumping that out, uh, doubling it up a lot, and then ends up landing a perfectly placed leg kick that takes Crute out of the fight. And then in this fight uh, with Span, um, you know, this is kind of what I was getting to um, with, with the buildup. You know, um, can Span catch Anthony? Of course, they got four ounce gloves. They're fighting at two hundred five. Span has power. But when you're fighting a guy like Anthony who can do everything, these kind of like single um, single game guys, just he, he he's gonna have his way with, um, dude. Unless you got somebody in there with some severe severe high level wrestling, um, that's gonna be the only thing that's gonna take Anthony out of his game. And when I mean a really really high level wrestling, I mean really 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 strong top game and. Uh, and really good submission defense. That that's going to be the only thing that's going to be that's going to be the only single um, like if if somebody has only one part of their game, that's going to be the thing that beats Anthony. Um, if you're just a super high level striker, Anthony's going to take you down and submit you. Um, you know, if you're a, a decent wrestler with decent submissions, he's going to fucking knock your head off on the feet. Um, but yeah, um, great great win. Um, Clearly, and you know, like a lot of people were talking about the whole, um, you know, Anthony getting into his face after. And to be honest, that you you don't want to see you don't want to see unsportsmanlike conduct, which is not what happened. All all you saw was a guy want his respect and demand his respect, and that's what you want to see out of these guys. You you don't want to see these guys always slapping each other in the butt, saying "good job." That doesn't get anybody excited, and that shows you the mentality of who Anthony is. Again, Anthony has been through everything in this sport, and he still has that that desire for competition, and he still wants respect. That's what you want out of your high-level guys. You don't want it to be high fives and knuckle bumps and, hey, you did a good job all the time. That doesn't bring the best out of you. Sometimes it takes you to not hate the other person, not want ill for the other person, but to demand respect. And that's when you get performances like Anthony had um, on Saturday. And again, you saw, you saw, and to be honest, I didn't even know there was any heat. Um, I didn't really see anything in headlines. I didn't see any Twitter grab headlines that you usually see with this guy said this and this guy said that. This guy said this about you. What are you saying? 
you know, I generally stay away from that kind of stuff, and, uh, you know, I don't play into it because it really doesn't do anything for me, and it doesn't do anything really for the fight, um, so I didn't see anything, so I don't know if things were said just personally to each other, or if, again, if, if this just event just kind of flew under the radar and, and I wasn't paying attention to it, but, um, you know, it, it, it's not like they got into a scuffle after their, you know, after Anthony said his piece, Ryan went over and think he apologized and, and and they cleared the air and at the end of the day it's just competition it's nothing personal these guys don't hate each other they don't you know it's it's not like connor and khabib it's just it, it's it's purely competitive um and that's where it stayed and once the fight was over it got a little bit heated but then they smoothed everything out and, and that's all you can ask for um and then so after the win you know anthony calls out for alexander raddick and, and if he really does want to go get another title shot I, you know that that's going to be the closest way to do it um i still think raddick should be fighting yuri but i guess i think yuri is on curtain call for the um sorry guys i gotta plug in my computer real quick Whoa. uh he's on the curtain call for the glover um uh, Jesus, who's the fucking champion? Oh, uh, yeah, of course, uh, Blockowitz fight. Um, so in case somebody doesn't make weight or somebody falls out, Yuri's gonna gonna fill in there. Um, I, I hate when they do this because they're they're literally shelving a guy who's riding all this momentum, coming off all these knockouts, who already was kind of on the shelf a little bit after all this COVID stuff. Um, you know, big win, uh, big win, uh, over Dominic Reyes, and now, you know, you kind of, he's kind of silent until this, uh, until this heavyweight fight in a couple weeks, or this light heavyweight title fight in a couple weeks, so I would have way have rather seen Raddick and Yuri fight in the interim, but since that's not happening, and both those guys are shelved, I guess all you can do is Anthony Smith versus Raddick, it really wasn't that great of a fight the first time, uh, oh man, the first fight was only three rounds, too, Wow. Uh, but yeah, Raddick did on one of the scorecards, did beat him 30-26. I don't remember that fight too well. Pretty sure I missed this fight card and had to do a little bit catching of it, uh, catching up to it later. And that was a whole fucking year ago. That's crazy. I can't believe that fight was a year ago already. Jesus. Who else was on that card? Uh, I love doing deep dives like this sometimes. Let me just take a look real quick. Uh, Magni and Robbie. Ricardo. Oh, wow. This is a... Tough, tough fight card. No wonder why I missed it. Um, anyways, um, but yeah, gr great showing by Anthony. Um, this was actually a really fun fight card. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, let me see the rest of it. Let me pull the rest of it up. Um, yeah, Ian Kutilaba just beat the shit out of Devin Clark. I actually, I, I expected that in the first round. I really didn't expect that to play out all through the fight but you know ian looked really good ian or however you say his name still not the biggest fan of his don't like the over like i i hate all the gimmicks and the over aggressiveness and because it's all for show and i don't know if it's to pump himself up but i don't know that shit really doesn't do anything for me and when you do it every fight and you do stupid gimmicks at the uh at the weigh-ins it's just um you know when it works it works like when tom lawler does it it's funny but when you're just trying to show how intimidating you are you know, that shit may work on the street, you know, when you're at a club or you're at a, um, you know, you're at a bar and you're trying to intimidate some guy that bumps into you or is talking shit or macking on your girl. But, dude, when you're fighting another cage fighter who's training just as much as you are, if not more, like, it's going to be, and especially when you've been, um, 
you know, he's got six losses, and a couple of those were, were pretty bad losses. So, you know, when, when you've had your own defeats, it, it's really hard to intimidate, an, uh, you know, another fighter. So I just, I, I don't buy into his gimmicks, but looked fucking great on Saturday. Looked absolutely amazing. Um, Arion uh, Lipsky got the win, had really good body work. Um, uh, Mandy was super tough, but Ariane uh, ended up getting it done. Tarsirian did what he was supposed to do. Knocked out. I mean, he was the biggest favorite on the card. Knocked out uh, Giagos real fucking quick. Um, was not in that fight at all. Uh, he's going to shoot up. Dude, lightweight is about to get taken over by these fucking Russians and Dagestanians. Like, the Poirier's, the, uh, you know, whoever else is at the top right now, they got maybe another year or two before fucking Tarsirian and uh, Tarsirkin or however you say his name, Arman. And Makachev and everyone else just fucking take over the whole thing. Um, dude, Bantamweights were on display um, big time uh, on Saturday in the UFC. You had Nathan Manis coming back uh, coming back from the grave pretty much, from fucking hell, uh, and knocking out Tony Gravely. Tony Gravely getting two knockdowns early in the first and then in the second. And then Nathan Manis just coming back and landing a beautiful right hook to put him out. And then finished it with a couple shots on the ground. Um, great, great, great fight. I love watching Manis fight. He's a great addition to this bantamweight, um, bantamweight roster in, in the UFC. Um, not the biggest name. Does this is a big win, so I'm sure he'll get a big fight after this. Um, uh, I, th- this might put him in the top 15. He'll probably, obviously, still be outside of the top 10. Um, I just kind of want to see where he's been, where he's been the last couple fights. Yeah, Luke Sanders, Rene Cho, Johnny Munoz. Uh, yeah, you know, great. I think he's still he's still undefeated in the UFC. Yeah, still undefeated in the UFC. So he'll probably that's three and zero now. A couple big wins. He's gonna get a big fight coming up next. Um, and you had uh, you kind of had two fights um, with two crazy comebacks. Um, the Joaquin Buckley knockout wasn't as um, like he wasn't as in the hole as Manis was, um, but still Buckley was definitely behind. Had trouble kind of closing the distance. Araya was just had a weird game plan and just was just like, okay, I'm just this guy's lost to a head kick once, so all I'm gonna do is kick. My hands are gonna be low and I'm just gonna kick. And you kind of had this feeling like he was gonna get get caught eventually. Um, but going into the third round, I was just like, okay, I guess Joaquin Buckley just can't figure out how to close the distance. And then, boom, out of nowhere, um, Buckley catches him with that upper. I think it was a short right hand. Followed up with an uppercut and then a few ground strikes and that was fucking it. Great come from behind victory. Called out Dana White after. I really don't know what they're going to have to talk about because he's had a couple bad losses in the UFC too. But super marketable, has a big name, has a has a lot of knockouts. Great addition to the middleweight fucking um, roster on the, on the lower end and I can't wait for his next fight. Um, the prelims are actually pretty good too. Uh, how did you guys feel about the, the Penny, Kanzan, and Pennington um, call? Definitely not. That was probably the closest fight on the card. Super, super entertaining. Um, you guys know. So I on this fight card, I went, uh, what did I say? I said, I think total I went 4-2 because I picked Davis, Neiman, which I got right. Um, Penny, Kanzan, which I got wrong. Devin Clark, which I got wrong, and then Anthony Smith. So what did I go like three and two or something like that? Um, what did I say? I have to go back and look. But um, 
But yeah, that one was super close, and that could have went my way. Um, I, I definitely thought Panny won. Um, I thought she won rounds one and three. I thought round two clearly went to Pennington. But Pennington looks like a whole new fighter right now. Let me rephrase that. She looks like herself, but refined and still and, and more motivated now. Um, the, her last couple of fights, she just seemed very lethargic. Just did not seem like she had that third or fourth gear, you know, those those extra gears to turn into. And I just feel felt like her kind of um, her clinching style wasn't working as much. She didn't have the strength to do it with some of the other cats in that division. Um, but look, totally, totally refreshed and brand new in this fight. Uh, again, or, or maybe I should say had a fresh coat of painting on her game. Really wasn't stuff that we haven't seen before. She still looked like the same fighter, but it, it looked way more physical. Um, just, just way more refined. Um, and I was really excited for Raquel because Raquel's Raquel seen everything in this game. She's seen title fights. She's seen the low end of the division. She's seen the high end of the division. She's gotten wins back from bad losses. Um, so I was really, you know, even though she costed me money and I was pretty pissed off about it, uh, I was really excited to see Pennington kind of turn a corner because I hate when, when, when fighters like Pennington just get thrown to girls like, Pen or I should say fighters because this happens on the men's side obviously as well. But, you know, I kind of hate when the old vet just gets thrown to the, to the young lion, um, just to get, you know, just to get fed. Um, and yeah, I get it. It's like a marketing thing, but I just, uh, it's just, oh, that shit always leaves a sour taste in my mouth. Um, but yeah, uh, really good stuff there. I'm not going to get too much into the other, uh, into the rest of the car. There wasn't really too much to get to. Let's get straight into the Bellator, uh, card. Um, you know, I, this, this is exactly what I was trying to tell you guys. I, I didn't really understand the matchmaking here, especially being his first fight into Bellator. Phil Davis is really, really, really a tough fight, man. It was just a terrible matchup for UL. Um, it, it was just not a good fight either. Like this is what it's exactly what I was worried about. Neither guy really threw. Davis only won because he threw just a little bit more than fucking Romero did. Um, Davis had the better wrestling, which I thought would be the case, especially out in the open. Um, Romero didn't have any legs to really explode on um, or moments to explode on. And even if he did, it, I just don't think Davis would have been there to get caught. Um, Again, Davis is just a really tough fight for anybody. I mean, name name even the guys that have beaten Davis that have that were like, oh, that was a spectacular performance. I want to see that again. Nobody. I mean, Bader couldn't look good against him. Um, Johnson back in the UFC, like it was a great performance, but like that what like it's a great fight to watch because Davis couldn't get the takedown, and so uh, Anthony just kind of beat him up on the feet. But it, you know, it's still a very very hard disciplined fight. Like you can't. You, even when you're hurting Davis and you're you're kind of edging him out, you can't get reckless because he can flip that on an instance. Um, so I just I, I really like I, I thought there was a million other ways to go with Romero's debut, and this was the worst one to go with, and and it showed. And I don't know if this was Coker's kind of Dana White's play because you kind of see this with uh, with Dana in the UFC. It's anytime a guy has a big name. Outside the UFC, his first fight in the UFC is usually against the, not the matchup anybody wants to see, but it will be the hardest for his game. Um, you saw that with Jake Shields against Martin Campman. You saw that with, um, I guess you didn't quite see that with Chandler and Hooker. 
Um, but I guess on paper that was kind of a that that could have been a, a tough fight. But there was definitely harder ones for him to you know like a Makachev or something like that to look bad against. But you know how Dana is, even on the lower end, even if you're not like a, a straight title contender, but um, you know kind of like a guy who has a big name but a lower lower end on the division like you get the worst matchup right away and it usually gets a guy like a fight or two to kind of like break his le- break his legs in, in the UFC and so I kind of felt like that's what Scott and Bellator did to Romero which you know if you re- if you really want to get a lot of hype behind a guy it just was not the fight again even if he got the win it probably wasn't going to be pretty it probably would have looked the same way just you know on the flip side of the decision so really wasn't excited about that um Neiman Gracie, though, shocking the world with his hands. Beautiful uppercut. Um, beautiful, beautiful ground and pound to finish it up. Great things from Neiman Gracie. I love him at 170 in that division. Um, obviously, I don't think he has anything for the welterweight champ. I mean, Yaroslav's uh, fucking, um, fucking uh, top game in his wrestling. It would just be too much. Uh, in my opinion, for for Neiman, but the more he can round out his game, the better it will be for him later. And there's still a lot of great fights for Neiman uh, at 170 in Bellator. Looked phenomenal. I can't wait to watch him again. Um, pretty much against anybody at the top end in, in, in 170. Um, so that was great. You had that one guy who was the uh, uh, Paris or Paris Parish. What was it? what the fuck's the name? Uh, let me do it this way. Uh, he was like the biggest underdog on the card. Um, crazy, like back and like you know. I guess the fight got had to get rescheduled like a few times. Dude got COVID, then the other guy got hurt, so kind of took a minute uh, for um, for the fight to go through. Uh, yeah, Ben Parrish, uh, Christian Christian Edwards, huge huge underdog gets the knockout 36, 38 seconds in, and you know just does the fucking thing. Great great hand speed for how big he is. Um, great stuff. So I can't wait to see. And that guy's at, at 205 too. So just the ugliest body has like a Tyson Fury looking ass body, just disgusting, but super fast has the perfect nickname in big tuna. Um, and I can't wait to see that guy fight again. Um, that kind of wraps it up for the, for, for the recap section. Um, so let's move into, let's talk about, um, this week in MMA history. Actually, this was last week in MMA history. But I kind of wanted to save it for this week since he's fighting this weekend. Um, but on September 15th, oh, what the fuck was the year? Oh, my God. I probably should have wrote this down. Robbie Lawler. Hold on one second, guys. September 15th, 2007. Holy shit. Um... God damn, that was so long ago. I mean, that was 14 years ago. Oh my God. I can't even believe that. I was 12 years old. I was only 12 years old when this happened, and I can, I can remember watching this on, uh, I think it was either on CBS or Showtime. I can't remember. It was Elite XC. Murillo Hua, he's the Elite XC middleweight champ, and this was before Elite XC um, kind of merged with uh, Strike Force, and they, you know, Strike Force kind of took over the whole thing. Um, but Marilla Rua versus Robbie Lawler for the Elite XC Middleweight Championship in Hawaii. This was a big deal because this was during the time of like Rumble on the Rock and Icon. And there was this big Hawaiian MMA um, organization push. Like there was a lot of fights and a lot of fighters coming out of Hawaii. There's this big, big promotional push in Hawaii during this time. Um, kind of like how that like... they. 
you guys got to understand um during this period during 205 the post uh the uh post um ultimate fighter era of mma it was um it, it kind of set everything in motion for it like you know a, a lot of um you know when the ufc goes back and they talk about what the ultimate fighter did for them you know it took their business and, and it skyrocketed but it didn't just stop in the ufc it really it, it, that is really what blew mma up in general that's when markets promoters businessmen entrepreneurs um uh state officials and state state regulators were like oh maybe we can do this maybe we should sell this this is great revenue for our city we should bring this in we should allow this um again promoters were like maybe i want to get into this kind of business and so you just saw you just saw pits of of mma everywhere um mfc and um tko and i forget the other canadian ones but all throughout canada you started seeing pop up um hawaii with icon rumble in the rock and and elite xc started doing events there just you started seeing pits of mma everywhere in this era and so um circling back to this fight um you know this was kind of a big deal like on that card you had um you had nick diaz you had gina carano jake shields joey Villasenor, tanya evinger ricky fukuda um, you had Brandon Wolf on the prelims, Tyson Nam, Justin Buckholtz. Like these are big, you know. At at the time, you know, a lot of these guys were kind of unknown. Besides, maybe like Nick Diaz, Gina Carano on her way up, Joey Vias, uh, you know, Jake Sheet. Like these guys are all kind of like on their way up uh, in 2007. Which obviously, looking back, these are you know these are amazing fighters now. Um, but these were kind of like these were the cards that people were putting on outside of the UFC, and this is really what got UFC uh, got you know MMA to the real mainstream. You didn't just have to watch UFC; there was great MMA going on everywhere. It was still far and few. It wasn't like now where we get it every weekend, but you know you were still getting great fight cards and um, getting to watch great fighters in, in, in other parts of the world and in, in uh, other promotions. But anyways, back down to this fight. If you guys haven't seen this fight, you can go to UFC Fight Pass. You can go to YouTube. I'm going to warn you, the quality sucks fucking ass watching it. I don't know what the fuck UFC did. I don't know if Showtime gave him a, a shitty fucking uh, a shitty copy for the digital rights, but it, it's really bad. Um, but still, go back and watch it. I mean, it's a fucking dog fight. Um, both guys throwing back and forth. Um, you know, I think this was Robbie's first, I think he won an icon, the icon. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he won the icon middleweight champ, uh, or middleweight belt from Frank Trigg, uh, a few months prior, but this was like the first, like kind of bigger mainstream belt that he won, uh, which was over Hua. And again, just a big bar burner of a fight, you know, Murillo coming through with a shoot a box, um, Muay Thai. And kind of, you know, burned himself out, really just put it on Robbie for the first two and a half rounds and really blew his gas tank. And then Robbie just comes back with his angles and his boxing, just weathering the storm, clips uh, Hua with an uppercut, finishes up with some vicious, vicious ground and pound. I mean, go back and watch Lawler finish this with the ground and pound. I mean, he he's in full guard and the way he lunges forward to land his hammer fists are just insane. Um and it was a great moment. Uh, still a very young, obviously it was 14 years ago, wrong, young Robbie Lawlers. And you, you, you're starting to see, by this point, you're starting to see glimpses of of what Robbie Lawler was going to turn into. 
Um, but this is still before his kind of like losing streak in strike force. Um, you know, he kind of was on a hot streak here, you know, um, beating Joey Villasenor in pride, um, winning the Icon Sports Championship over Frank Trigg, beating Hua, having a defense over Scott Shields. But then he gets into strike force and it's a little bit different of a story. You know, loses to Jake Shields, has a great win over Manhuff. Um, has these weird fights with Sobral, you know, beats Matt Linlin, gets a title fight against Souza. I was actually there live for that fight. Looks good. He actually rocked Souza early, but then ends up getting choked out. Loses to Tim Kennedy. You know, it was just very, very up and down in strike force. But ultimately, it was because he was at the wrong weight class, and I don't think he was he was as serious about it as he was when he got into the UFC at 170. Um, I still don't. I, I would still like if I could talk to Robbie Lawler. I would. I would really want to know why he fought at 185 in strike force, but then as soon as he got to the UFC, decided to go to 170. Um, like I don't. I, I don't know if he. Because um, if you look at the way he fought in in in, in strike force, it's not that he. It's not that he didn't take it. It's not that he didn't want to be there and didn't care. It was just you could tell like there was a different intensity once he got to the UFC. Like you you look at those first three fights against Koscheck, Volker, and McDonald. Even in the losing effort uh, for the the welterweight championship against Hendricks, that was just a complete different Robbie Lawler from what was in Strike Force. Um, anyways, that fight was 14 years ago. Here we are. I'm gonna use this to bleed into into. Um, uh, UFC 266 this weekend, and I, I want to just get this out of the way because I want to spend the most time with this fight because, I mean, again, this fight is, what, eight, 17 years in the making? Nick Diaz versus Robbie Lawler 2, Nick Diaz's return, and um, I don't even know where to begin. I guess we'll begin with Robbie because I already let in with, with the, you know, the kind of the background, but both of these guys have just, um, like, the, the, this... Um, you know, we talk about stakes a lot on this show. I talk about stakes a lot on the show. And this fight has something more than stakes. Something more than legacy. This this fight has a, a double-edged sword of um or a two-ended a two-ended blade with 17 years of ebb and flows and experience in the fight game. This this fight is literally the uh, the accumulation again of 17 years in this game, seeing championships, seeing losing streaks, seeing the highs, seeing the lows, be, being through suspensions, um, injured. Like this fight is the accumulation of everything that has to go into the fight game. I don't think we'll ever see a fight where there's 17 years between the first fight and the second fight, and especially with how much has gone on separately and together with these two fighters. I mean, their first fight was really the catapult for Nick Diaz, right? And then Robbie Lawler went on to go have his own moments and his own career and his own highlights. And then Nick went off and he had his own highlights and you know, and his whole career and both of those guys, you know, came up as they have so many similar similarities and so many differences. What are the similarities? They were both in their teenage years when they got into the game. They both had uh, like you know rough childhoods. Always were getting into fights. Used fighting as an outlet. Used training as an outlet to better themselves. Um, debuted at a certain young age. Came into the sport as super young hot prospects 
um, with a lot of eagerness, with a lot of aggressiveness, um, a, a chip on their shoulder, and were just destroying guys, and then they met each other, um, it, which is still to this day very rare that you see in this game where two young, hot prospects get pitted against each other, and then they throw down like savages like those two did. Um, you know, what are the, you know, and they both, uh, they both got to, um, you know, they both, again, similarities, they both had their, 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 um, losing streaks, they both had their winning streaks, they both eventually rose to the top, and both had their own championship reigns, with Robbie being in the UFC, Nick Diaz being in Strikeforce with his big run, never getting that, that, that UFC gold, but, but at that time, even though GSP was the champ, uh, in UFC and running through everybody, if you weren't around for Nick Diaz's Strike Force welterweight title run and, and the few fights before that, which started with uh, Frank Shamrock and and Scott Smith, you you really missed um, you you really missed a, a really fun era um, in MMA when Nick Diaz was that welterweight championship uh, champion. It was almost like. Um, you know, Nick was the antithesis of GSP. GSP was the super respectful. At this point, this was GSP's second title run. So he fought, you know, this was after getting knocked out by Matt Sarah. So he was super safe um, in the way he fought, you know, fought guys at their weakest point. Um, you know, did enough on the feet just to get the takedown. And then his top game and his top control would just, just destroy everybody. And Nick Diaz was the exact opposite of that. He beat guys where... They were the strongest. I mean, he went toe to toe with Paul Daly. Ended up knocking Paul Daly out on the feet. Went toe to toe with uh, um, Cyborg Santos, and you know, um, Cyborg ends you know beats Nick up uh, with leg kicks. But then Nick comes back with with some good body shots and um, and some good boxing, but ultimately gets taken down. And then you know, Cyborg is a black belt too, but then ends up getting tapped out with a uh, with a with a triangle from his back. Uh, KJ Noons gets um gets outboxed for five rounds by by Nick Diaz and a lot of you guys who think uh who think Nick Diaz you, you know he he may not be the brightest in his interviews but um go look at both KJ Nunes' fights and you can see what kind of a smart like his fight IQ is is so high um I think BJJ Scout does a does a breakdown on this on YouTube but if you look at the first KJ Nunes fight KJ starts kind of getting the upper hand and ends up cutting um uh, Nick from the southpaw stance because Nick is a natural southpaw and what KJ does is he just comes over the top of, of uh, Nick's right hand whenever he pumps the jab out so what does Nick do in the rematch he goes orthodox for the full five rounds never switches again I saw that fight live too and I had to go back and watch it again to really catch it after I watched that breakdown but but fights orthodox for all five rounds just because he knew he had a had an advantage and KJ wouldn't be able to close the distance from the orthodox stance so super super high intelligence on that. Um, there was that fight. There's the the Marius Zoromskis fight is is amazing too because Zoromskis at the time uh, was fighting in Dream and, and in Russia and in Japan and people were naming him, calling him uh, the the new Krokot because he was head kicking everybody and he was the short compact little 170 er um, just head kicking everybody to death and then gets put in there with Nick Diaz and Marius just. You know, like everybody thinks, just because you hit Nick Diaz doesn't mean he's out, but just blows his load, ends up dropping Nick, goes in for the kill, blows his load. By the end of the first round, Nick Diaz is picking him apart, ends up getting the TKO. I mean, we're talking about really, really fun, entertaining uh, fights. Again, the antithesis of what GSP was. So it was almost like um, 
it was almost like you know when WCW and WWE were around, um, and WCW was beating them for so long because they were kind of like the raw, edgy, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, he was the raw, edgy champion that didn't give a fuck that just went out and beat people at their best at their best strength all the time. Um, where at the time WWE was kind of playing this safe, kind of just like cordial, not how they are now with all the PG political correct stuff and how AE, I, I guess, I guess the better thing would be like, it's kind of like, cause that's what led WWE to go into their attitude era. Anyways, I don't want to get on that topic, but it's kind of like how AE, I, I don't watch professional wrestling, but I anymore, but I kind of see the headlines cause a lot of the guys in MMA cover like, like that shit. But it's from what I'm reading, that's kind of what, um, whatever is on TNT now, the AEW, they're kind of that new edgy crowd where WWE is all the Disney-owned PCs. I know they're not Disney-owned, but kind of that Disney PC gimmick. Um, and so at that time, it was it was really fun to to be a Nick Diaz fan and a Strikeforce fan because it, it wasn't what you were getting in the UFC. Um, and then at the same time, at the same time, Robbie, again, like I was just depicting earlier, Robbie Lawler was in there, just kind of the middle of the pack uh, middleweight fighter. Was there for big fights, but, you know, really wasn't that consistent. Had some great moments against Melvin. Had some great moments, uh, some other great moments in there against, like, Matt Lillen. But when it come to, like, winning a belt or or creating, a, you know, a long streak, it, it, it just wasn't there. Um, you know, uh, and, and even outside of Strikeforce, both these guys fought in pride. Um, after the UFC, the, these guys fought everywhere. Um, so they really have like, man, the 17-year the gap that happened with them in this sport is just insane, just completely insane. And then now to come back full circle back in the UFC, um, you know, at the end of their careers, you know what I mean? Like, like to do it at the beginning and then to come all the way back at the end and both guys are, you know, are, you know, we don't really know where Nick is, but with Robbie, it's obviously, you know, he's still not the, he's not the championship level guy that he was a few years ago. Looks like he has a pacing issue and a, and, and stuff like that. And, you know, maybe a little bit shoddy, but, but still to come back 17 years later and to, to, to redo this fight, I just, I can't wait. And, and I'm so glad they went this route with Nick Diaz's return. I didn't want to see him against there against a guy who's been in this game, um, or, you know, been active a lot, like, they, they were trying to put him in there against Masvidal already, or, you know, anything like that, I just, I, I really didn't want to see that, it just didn't make sense to me to put him in there with a guy who's been super active, um, you know, even though Robbie has been in the game, um, this whole time without taking it, you know, um, realistically, since the last time Nick fought, which was, what, uh, January of 2015, um, that was really when, um, when Robbie went on his stride, I mean, um, let's see, I'm pretty sure Robbie won that, won, won the belt, won the welterweight belt December of 2014. So a month later, Nick Diaz has that fight with Anderson Silva and then rides off into the sunset. Um, let me just double check on this. So Johnny Hendricks, UFC 181. Yeah, December 6th of 2014. So yeah, at 180, so at 181 was Hendricks Lawler, 182 was Silva and, um, Silva and Diaz, so literally, like, that, that's just so crazy, as soon as Diaz, you know, gets that suspension, and, and, you know, falls out of the sport, Robbie goes on this fucking crazy, crazy, pro in my opinion, that was the most fun 
era of a welterweight champion in the UFC. I can't name it. I mean, maybe if you go all the way back to Matt Hughes, but even so, I mean, those uh, that free, three fight um, stint with uh, with Robbie as the champ. I mean, you had the the Johnny Hendricks fight, which was great. Uh, Roy McDonald fight, legendary. Carlos Condit fight, legendary. And it's funny when you go back and you look and you're like, wow, his uh, his welterweight span, his welterweight championship span only spanned two fights, two defenses. But it was, but those fights were so crazy and so drawn out and so legendary that it almost feels like he was champ for like four or five years. Um, but really, that whole—I mean, he came into the to the UFC in 2013 against Josh Koscheck and went on a tear. Like his only loss was that close, close, close fight um, against Johnny Hendricks for the for the vacant UFC championship um, when uh, when GSP um, you know vacated it. And so, you know, that was his only loss. So really, like, even though he only had a, a two-fight stint or a two-defense two, two stint uh, with his belt, was really for, what, three years? Yeah, three years, just probably the best, definitely the best welterweight in that division. You know, even though he didn't have the belt that whole time, was definitely the best welterweight for three whole years in the UFC before coming up against Woodley, who kind of took the mantle as probably one of the best welterweights in the division uh, of all time. Um, it should, it, it still, that just blows my mind that, you know, once Nick left, Robbie took off and now here we are again. Um, let's break down a little bit more of the, uh, the psychological point of, uh, of this fight. Um, and when I say psychological, I don't mean like who's in each other's head or anything like that. I just mean Nick Diaz has been off of this game for five years. Um, and when he first left, you know, everyone was kind of worried about Nick because, uh, you know, if you follow him on social media, um, that dude was posting all kinds of crazy shit to his story. I mean, he was in Vegas nightclubs every fucking night. He 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 literally cracked me up because it would literally he would be at the pool in the day and at the club at night. At the pool at the day, club at night. And it's and what's crazy is is like I don't know where he found the time to keep his fucking abs and stay in shape because he never posted anything about being in the gym, but still always remained his fucking rock hard abs, remained in shape, and was just pulling chicks at all these fucking clubs all fucking day. It just didn't make any sense. But then you would hear reports about him getting in trouble at the same time, and you were just like, fuck, man, if this guy can't fight, you know, he's going to resort to other shit. Um, but he was doing well with, like, branding and being a brand ambassador and, you know, doing, you know, seminars and shit like that. So I was like, all right, well, at least he's staying motivated, you know, in certain ways. Um... And then obviously, like we said, Robbie, you know, fucking goes and takes off on this fucking crazy, crazy win streak, um, wins, uh, you know, gets to the championship, loses, and then now has, you know, been on a, a fat, like, dude, that he has not won since 2017. He hasn't won since Donald Cerrone. And then every fight looks more and more shot, um, you know, looked pretty shot in the, in the Dos Anjos fight, which was all the way back in 2017. But I think he hurt his knee in that fight. Because he doesn't come back until March second of 2019 against Ben Askren, and I, you know, I'm not even gonna say that one's really a loss because that that fight, I, it looked like it, you know, Robbie wasn't out, but then you know, in Covington and the Magny fight, just two terrible matchups in my opinion, just because of the whole pacing thing, and you know, I think that's where a lot of this whole like is Robbie shot is coming from, but it's like, man, you can't even really put it against him because the kind of game plan like the kind of uh forward pressure that magni and covington put on it, it you know it b- both got it's just uh it, it's super hard to deal with 
super, super hard to deal with. Um, you know, in both fights, you're just yelling at the TV for Robbie to throw, and it's just not there. And so we, we don't know. Um, and those came a year apart from each other. I mean, Robbie really hasn't been active the last couple of years. Um, you know, 2017 was the... Oh, I guess he had two fights in 2019, but... Um, and those weren't really worth that spread apart either. But still, um, you know, really hasn't been that active. So, and how old is he now? He's 39. He's pushing 40. So at any moment now, you know, is he shopworn? He's been through all the wars. He really hasn't been the same since the Carlos Condit fight. Um, you know, I'm sure that dog is still in there. But it's just like, dude, at a certain point, the uh, the dog that's in there gets, you know, leashed and bound by the, 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 the limitations of the body. And... Um, I think this fight is going to be really telling. Even though he's not a wrestler, Nick Diaz has the same forward pressure that Magny and Covington have. Um, again, it doesn't have the grappling aspect in there, but with his pace, with his boxing and his chin, um, just the forward pressure, it's going to be kind of the same thing. So this is going to be a great test to see where Lawler is at. Um, on the flip side, going back to Diaz, because um, I didn't really get to finish that up there because I'm so overwhelmed by this fight. But... Um, if you watch Nick Diaz, um, in his interviews, which is crazy that he's doing interviews, right? Like that was his whole thing while he was in, while he was in the sport heavy, he hated doing media, but it seems like he has a totally different perspective on this now. And he's a little more, um, inviting and, um, I see him being a lot more open with people now. And, uh, he's not, he doesn't, he seems older, more mature and not as bitter. Um, dude, you just remember those, the, the, some of those, um, some of those uh, interviews, and it was just like, um, I don't want to, like, because, you know, everyone has their own background, and everyone has their own um, own environments that they have to push through and, and grow out of, but, you know, it was just almost like, uh, like he was victimizing himself all the time, like, oh, everyone's out to get me, and all of this, and it's like, you, you know, when you have that mentality, it's, you know, it kind of leaves a sour taste in everyone's mouth. And, uh, like, we all still love to see him fight, but sometimes it was just like, Nick, all right, dude, we get it. Like, everyone's out to get you. But he doesn't seem to kind of have that mentality anymore. Um, I mean, maybe he does on, on, on certain things, but I think on overall, he he doesn't view that way about himself anymore. Um, and he's willing to share more about, like, what he went through and what he was, you know, kind of going through while he was at the top of this game. And so I think he's in a way better place mentally, and I, and I really don't think he would have taken a fight unless he knew 100% he was ready to do this. Um, and that's another thing that gets me excited. Like, I don't think this is a money grab. I don't think it's, you know, he's desperate. I, I really do think he's willing, able, and body ready to do this. Um, and if he is, it, 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 you know, if this is, if this is a, a peak, not a peak, but of anything near a peak Nick Diaz, I think Robbie's going to be in for a long night. Um, either Robbie's going to be in for a long night or this is going to be one of the best fights of all time. Um, cause if Nick can go in there, if he still has, um, you know, half the chin of that he used to, and he can still put on the pace and the volume that he once could, this is going to be a barn burner of a fight and I can't fucking wait. Um, you know, technically speaking, the, the, these two are the, again, the kind of the antithesis of each other. Um, Nick goes one pace the whole fight where Robbie kind of falls into that Romero kind of um, space where he'll kind of, you know, he'll kind of let back and, and let you wail on him. Um, you know, you know, before I get into that, 
both guys have a similar um, um, going back to their similarities both guys in their game have a similar thing where they rely on their chin so much not so much just to take punishment but it almost it it um, uh, makes their opponent fall into a uh, a false safety net like a, a false sense of security almost where they think they're getting the better of, of Nick or Robbie but they're really just they're really just draining their gas tank. Um, again, go back and watch that Murillo, Murillo Hula fight against Robbie Lawler. Go against, go watch, um, Johnny Hendricks against Robbie Lawler. Go watch, um, there's so many fighters. There's so many guys who just, and on Nick Diaz, that just a Mario Saramskis, like I said earlier, against Nick Diaz. So many guys just unload, Takanori Gome on Nick Diaz. They just, because they're landing and they're big shots, they think they're getting the upper hander and close to a finish, so they just let the whole gas tank go, and then they're still there smiling at you. Now they're pushing on you, and you don't have the gas tank to defend yourself or throw back, and then they drown you. Uh, in, in Nick's case, he drowns you, and in Robbie's case, he flatlines you, and you wake up two days later not knowing what the fuck happened. Now, Robbie uses that he'll just sit there and he'll wait in spurts and he'll usually wait until like the last minute of the round and then really fuck you up. Really just take everything out on you. Um, where Nick will kind of start slow and then within the later rounds start really picking up the pace. And um, I think this three-round fight really favors Lawler where obviously Nick would love a five-round fight. Um, so that's why I kind of think this is going to be madness. Um, both of these guys only fighting for 15 minutes. Uh, it should be, I, I hope nothing stupid happens. Like I hope, I hope Nick doesn't get cut and they stop it by cut or an injury happens. Cause this has, this has the makings to be an incredible fight. Um, both guys have great body work. Both guys have great angles. Again, um, they use their pacing differently, but both guys know how to pace themselves and to go all three rounds. Um, I don't think either guy's going to be shooting in for takedowns unless Nick can get a trip. Uh, and if Robbie can get on top somehow, I'm sure he'll get like try to go to, to half guard and try and rain down some ground and pound. But I expect this to be a classic barn burner of a fight. And yeah, to a lot of guys, to a lot of new fans, this is just two old guys who have been in the game a long time fighting. But for a guy who, who has been there since the beginning for both of these guys, um, the beginning, the top end, the low end. Um, there's not a single fight that I'm more excited for. And if you're any sort of OG fight fan, even if you're a new fight fan, this should be the fight to watch for you um, on Saturday. Um, I think both guys are like neck and neck and who's favored and who's not. This is not a fight I would bet on just because you have no idea which way it's going to go. Um, and the odds the odds are so close that it's, it's not even worth the fucking money. Um, I feel like there's like 50 million things I wanted to say about this fight, but I can't remember. And if I do remember, I might make another short video. But uh, I haven't been this excited for a fight in a long time, and I just really hope that it lives up to the hype. Um, what am I on? Like 45 minutes just talking about this fight? Let's fucking move on. Um, here we go. Oh, man, I don't even want to talk about anything else on this fight card now. I'm just so excited for that fight. Um you got Alexander Volkanovsky taking on Brian Ortega. Now, this fight's super interesting. Um, super, super, super interesting. Um, I This is a, you know, 145 right now is is totally stacked. 
Um, it's not as stacked as 135 in my opinion, um, but there's also a lot of people, a lot of guys heavy into the sport um, that believe actually 145 is way more deep than 135. But I just think there's too many like former champs at 135 currently that keep um, 135 a little bit more competitive than 145. Like to me, 145 is super top heavy. Um, and then once you kind of get to the lower end, it kind of starts rounding out where 135 all the way down to like the top 20, it's fucking stacked. Um, but neither here nor there. But very important featherweight main event. Um, we got the belt. Ortega returned after, um, you know, getting his ass beat by Max Holloway and looked great against Ortega. I'm sorry, Ortega looked great against Ortega. Looked great against the zombie. Um, totally refined his game. Totally new new outlook. Um, really tightened everything up on the feet. Didn't even have to do anything on the ground to beat Chan Sung Jung, which is Jung's, you know, strength. So he really beat Jung at his own game. Um, was creative with the, the spinning back elbows and all the striking and um, had a good jab. Really good left kick when he would uh, when he would switch stance to southpaw. Um, just really, really refined. Um, the thing is, though, the thing is, though, Chan Sung Jung in that fight, in all fights, super flat-footed, and so was Ortega. So they both kind of stood at equal distance the whole fight. Just kind of having a, a kickboxing fight almost. Um, kind of like a kickboxing fight with MMA gloves. So there's like a little bit more, you know, uh, unpredictability. Um, but yeah, Volkanovski is not going to be there. Um, Volkanovski's footwork and the way he moves and his L steps and his, his, faint, his feints above all. His feints and his rhythm, uh, his offbeat rhythm is just nothing that Ortega has fought before. And I... I don't see how Ortega can close the gap on Volkanovski. Like I just, I don't think I don't think Ortega can take Volkanovski down, and I don't think he's going to be able to do anything on the feet. Now maybe he's refined this game because he's had so long to prepare for Volkanovski. I mean, this fight was supposed to happen before, but I think Volkanovski got COVID, so they had to take it off, and then they did the Ultimate Fighter. So. When were they originally supposed to fight? I want to say this fight was supposed to be over the summer, right? If I'm not mistaken. Uh, oh, fuck. Ortega was scheduled for a UFC featherweight championship bout against current featherweight champion Alexander Volkanovsky on March 27th. So he had the whole fight camp leading up to March. So what? That was in December. So Chan Sung Jung was in October. So he's had almost a full year to prepare for this fight. So if, you know, there's no excuses on Ortega's on uh on Ortega's side if, you know, if he can't figure Volkanovski out cuz he's had a whole year to do it. Um man, is that enough time? That kind of changes things. I should have looked into that a little bit more before I did this episode. Um I still don't think it's enough time. I still think Volkanovski, um, still his level of his game, the only guy that's going to give him any trouble is Max, which we already saw in their last fight. Um, you know, you kind of have to match Volkanovski with the same kind of footwork. You, the the L-stepping, like you kind of have to fight his L-stepping with your own L-stepping, um, getting in and out of range, being light on the feet. You can't just be immobile standing there. Um I just don't see where Brian has his advantages, obviously, besides if this fight goes to the ground. 
Um, standing up, I just feel like Volkanovski is on a whole another level. Um, and I really do feel like this just sets up a, a third fight between Max and Volkanovski. Um, you know, uh, Kika Kaza, uh, Chigaze could, you know, could pose some threats with his kickboxing, but he's still kind of, you know, mobile. And I think Volkanovski can take him down and do work. You know, there's really nobody at, at 145. Maybe it's a beat that, you know, could, but we don't even know what the hell his deal is right now. Um, that could really deal with Volkanovski besides Max Holloway. So I think Volkanovski gets it done. Hopefully Max Holloway gets it done with Yair, and then we see if uh, Max can finally overcome the great Alexander Volkanovski. Um, you got Shevchenko taking off Lauren Murphy. Not really much to talk about there. Obviously, Valentina's just going to keep collecting busts to put on her mantle and keep collecting these belts at 125 until there's a viable contender. Uh, Curtis Blaze taking on Jerzinho Rosenstrike in a classic striker versus grappler fight. Um, this fight's actually pretty pretty interesting because... It's obviously striker versus grappler, but Blades has showed that he can strike and he does have good combinations and good knockout power. But his chin is super suspect, and if Jarzinho can land on him, it could be a short night for Curtis. But Rosenstroke has not shown very good takedown defense in the past, even though um, like he really hasn't had that many opportunities to show it off because they always put him in there with strikers, and this is the first like real wrestler that he's been put in there against. Um, so I expect Curtis Blades to get a double leg pretty fucking quick, get it down, and I'm, I actually expect Curtis Blades to get this done first round, either by TKO ground and pound or some sort of submission. You got Jessica Andrade versus Cynthia Calvillo. Um, this is actually going to be my underdog pick for the night, um, for the card. Uh, I don't see, I can't, there's no prop bets up yet. Maybe I'll do a thing, I'll put out a little thing about the prop bets. Um, to look out for, but Andrade, I think, is a minus 150 favorite over Calvillo, and I actually think Calvillo has the wrestling to make this a long night for Jessica. Jessica has great takedown defense and is a powerhouse, but I think Cynthia is kind of coming into her own game, um, and I think the blueprint to beat Jessica has been put out there by numerous people, and, you know, if you can't really deal with her, um, with her kind of, like, forward-heavy pressure, you're going to be in for a long night, but I think Cynthia can do it and um, pull that one out of her ass. Um, anything on the prelims? Um, uh, yeah, Moraes versus uh, Marab should be a good fight. You know, Moraes is kind of in a rebuilding spot, and Marab, you know, for for Moraes, this is a, I need to get back on track over a top contender, and for Marab, he needs a win over Marais to get that name notoriety on his record to jump up to the higher end of the division. So this fight means a lot for both guys. Obviously, Marais is on a downslope and Marab is on a up uphill. Uh, you know, is sloping up. Usually, I don't like these kind of fights, um, but I think this actually makes sense for where both guys are because the way Marlon has been descending um, to kind of shoot back up to where he wants and needs to be, he needs a win over a guy like Marab. Um, and it's kind of do or die. Like we, we've seen, uh, Marais kind of like in all facets of this division at 135. And so if he can't cut it with Marab, it, you know, he's going to have, uh, a lot more shit to, to, to think about and to deal with. Um, it's just kind of crazy because Marais came onto the scene so fucking hot was, I mean, the way he knocked out Sterling and Rivera, which, you know, to do that to both those guys was just fucking insane. Um, and then to be on this downward slope now, which he kind of seems like a shell of himself ever since that Henry Cejudo fight. Um, it's just crazy. 
Um, yeah, when he came in, look, he beat Dodson. Uh, or he loses against the Sun Sal, obviously, but then um, beats Dodson, knocks out Sterling, um, knocks out Rivera, comes back and avenges that loss against the Sun Sal, hurts him, and then gets the uh, guillotine in the in the first round. And now you guys got to understand, um, you know, if if you weren't familiar with Marais before, but when he beat Sterling Rivera in a Sun Sal. Nobody was doing that to Sterling. Nobody had beaten Sterling like that, that quick, that devastatingly. Uh, Jimmy Rivera, I think, was like 30-1 and one at the time. And this was like, I think that was his first loss in the UFC. Let's see. Yeah, that was his first loss in the UFC. And this was on when um, Rivera was on a 20-fight winning streak. And Marais just goes in there and head kicks him in the first round. Makes it look easy. And then Asun Sal was on another little bit of a good streak. And, uh, you know, it's super hard to finish Asun Sal. Dillashaw couldn't do it. None of the other guys could finish Asun Sal. And then fucking uh, Marias goes in there and just, again, hurts him and then gets him with the guillotine. But then goes in there, you know, against uh, Henry. Looks great the first couple rounds. Um, uh, the first two and a half rounds. Blows his load. And then Henry, like the vet he is, just goes in there and finishes him off. Um, and then since then, just has been on the downward slope. Where Marab on the other side, um, you know, has just been this decision-heavy, you know, kind of blanket of a guy. Um, not blanket in the sense that, like, he just lay in praise, but just, like, you know, just always does enough to win, has enough forward pressure and enough physicality to where he just blows over all these people. Um, and so you, it's not only is it the uh, the antithesis of where both guys are on their slope or on their on their uh, graph, like one sloping and one is rising, but it's also you know one's a crazy Muay Thai Brazilian Jiu Jitsu finisher and the other guy's a kind of grinder heavy wrestler, you know kind of um, heavy pace guy. Um, so really interesting fight. Um, let's see what else is on the card. I think there was another goody 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 goody. Uh, gotta go back backy back. Uh, let's see. Oh, of course, Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker is G, and I I feel so sorry. Um, I don't care how you guys. I don't care. I mean, I don't care how people really feel about you know how the world is doing uh, in response to COVID at this point and all this. But if any of you people agree with what Australia is doing to their people right now, you're you're insane. Um almost fascist deeming worthy uh if you think what australia is doing is okay but the leaps and the hurdles that this guy's had to do just to make it to this fucking fight card is insane and now this guy has to show up here after all that stress cut weight make weight and then fight this guy on saturday and then has to quarantine himself and stay away from his family for another two months this is insane just to get a fight Oh my God! Um, I'm definitely pulling for Dan Hooker. I, I, I mean, I love Dan Hooker. I love his fighting style. I love his demeanor. I love the, I, I just, I love everything about Dan Hooker. And this is just the icing on the cake for it to have to go through what he did just to get to this fight card. Um, truly inspiring. And and again, he has to do this while being forced from the government to stay away from his family. I couldn't think of anything more archaic. Um. And fascist. I'm sorry. That's what I'm gonna call it. I can't. I can't think of anything more fascist than that. I know that word gets thrown around a lot now with all these fucking woke dummies. But still, what Australia is doing to their people and in instances like this is just fucking ridiculous, and it's disgusting. 
Um, uh, Roxanne Modafferi, Chris Dawkins, anything on the early early prelims? Uh, nothing that I can see. Um, again, I think I spent all the time talking about Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler, but that fight really deserves all of the shine that it can get. Um, another thing that's kind of uh, that kind of flew under the radar for me. I, I didn't even realize that it was this. I thought this was happening in November for whatever reason. Um, but it's happening on Saturday. You got Anthony Joshua versus uh, Alexander Usyk um, for whatever belts that Anth- I think Anthony John uh, Anthony Johnson um, Anthony Joshua has every belt except for the one that Tyson Fury has, which may be the WEC belt. I don't know. Um, but that fight's finally happening. Uh, they say it's in London, so I guess London has. Um, kind of pulled back on their restrictive measures for COVID. But I mean, I don't know if it's just because we're in America and it's uh, it's two European guys fighting each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a big heavyweight fight and there's been literally no buzz here. Again, I didn't even know that it was this weekend until uh, I was looking up what was going on this weekend um, to do a preview for. Um, I think uh, I think a lot of you guys, if you're not familiar with Usyk, are going to be super surprised with how he looks against Joshua. Um, I'm surprised Eddie Hearn put this fight together with you know Fury and Wilder looming. Um, still, the, you know that's the big marquee, big money fight to make right now. And I think a lot of you guys might be surprised with how uh, you know U- Usyk looks. Usyk obviously has the size disadvantage, um, but I couldn't think of a more technical footwork heavy guy that could pose a bad fight for joshua um if you got some money i would throw it on him like if you just got money to play with i would go throw it on him by decision don't see him stopping joshua but you know shit anything can happen he did not look good uh in his opening heavyweight fight against uh chisora or kizora however you pronounce it i think that's who he fought um but you know it's his first fight it was after a long layoff and um you know, it's these kind of heavyweight, it's these kind of championship fights that really bring the best out of everybody. So, I kind, I don't, I don't know if I expect Usyk to win, but I expect him to look really good. Um, if I'm being honest, I hope he doesn't win because I really want to see Fury and Joshua go the fuck at it, and I expect, um, I still expect Fury to get it done with Wilder. So, I really want to see Fury and Joshua. Uh, anything else going on that I need to get to? Oh, that's right. We had Joseph Benavides and Carlos Condit, um, you know, retire uh, this past week. And I think this, I know Car- Carlos had retired before after getting submitted to Damian Maya, but it seems like he's kind of, he's doing the uh, the um, media rounds about his retirement. So I think he means it for real this time. Hasn't really looked great in his last few fights, even though I still think he has a little bit more in the tank. But neither here or there, he doesn't want to do it anymore. And I don't blame him. The best years are definitely behind him. Let's talk about Carlos Condit real quick. For a moment, uh, for a little bit, Carlos Condit was actually my favorite fighter. Again, um, um, fight sports is all is all about streaks. Um, you know, if you're lucky to have one streak in your career, you are a very, very blessed, fortunate fighter. Um, again, we were just talking about that with Nick and with Robbie. You know, occasionally, the you know, these guys, they go on these crazy, crazy streaks where, you know, maybe not be long streaks, um, you know, like, uh, you know, it's maybe not be Anderson's 16 fight win streak or GSP's like 10 title defenses or whatever that is, but it could just be like a, like a Matt Brown, like seven fights in a row where it's just war and brutal finish, war, brutal finish, war, brutal finish. 
Um, and that's kind of what Carlos Condit did for a minute. Um, you know, uh, kind of like again with Nick and with Nick and um, with Nick and Robbie, just kind of was was on the circuit, um, the regional circuit, and uh, the bigger regional circuit like Elite XC and and TKO and Icon and doing these crazy tournaments. Like I think he was in the the Rumble on the Rock tournament with. Uh, I, it was Jake. He he lost to Jake Shields, but it was Jake Shields, Yushin Okami, Anderson Silva. Um, there was a bunch of guys in there. Uh, these again all happening outside the UFC. Ends up coming over to the WEC, wins the belt there. UFC absorbs the 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 WEC welterweight division. Takes Carlos a little bit to get his footing in the UFC, like it does for most guys, and then just goes on this absolute crazy tear where he's. Um, you know, I think it started with Roy McDonald. Um, has to take Roy McDonald on. Starts slow, but then gets the crazy finish late. Fights uh, Don Young Kim with a flying knee. First, first, you know, everyone talks about that flying knee that he lands on on Don Young Kim. Go back and watch that fight. He hits this sweep um, off of Don Young. Don Young Kim gets a gets a takedown or, or in the middle of the takedown, and Carlos sweeps him and gets into mount and starts just punishing him. Um. And then ends up getting that flying knee, um, knocks out Dan Hardy when everyone going into that fight thought Carlos would win, but they thought because this was Dan coming off of the GSP fight, um, and Carlos already kind of was, you know, uh, when he was in the WEC, really wasn't that no, that known as a striker, um, but had like a, a million fucking submission victories. Like if I I I want to say like all of his. Um, all of his WEC wins were actually all submit. Let me go back and look. I think they were all submissions, and I think they were all by either choke or armbar. Um, let me go back and look. Um, just to be specific, yeah. WEC Kyle Jensen submission rear neck. Yeah. Okay, so we had one TKO against uh, Hiromitsu uh, uh, Mirua, which was actually a, a really high level guy at the time. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't even know he fought Mirua. Um, but he got the TKO there. But I think that may have been from ground and pound, not standing. But I'll have to go back and look. But yeah, Carlo Prater, Guillotine, Brock Larson, Armbar, John Alessio, Rear Naked Choke, Kyle Jensen, Rear Naked Choke. These are all, um, these are all, uh, um, you know, big name guys too at the time. I know now they don't have any lasting effect, but at the time these are all really high end guys. And then goes into the UFC, loses a, a, a close split decision to Martin Campman, but then again goes on that tear. Uh, five fight tear against Jake Ellenberger, Roy McDonald, Dan Hardy, Dong Young Kim, and Nick Diaz, which still that fight is probably one of the most debated fights to this day. And also probably had the greatest moment again besides Matt Sarah. Um definitely had the greatest moment against GSP with that one two head kick. Um I mean I, I to this day will go back and when I need some sort of like inspiration or if I just need to feel something, if I just need to feel any sort of way, whether it's excitement, joy, um, whatever it is, um, motivation, I'll go back and I'll, I think it was the third round. I'll go back and I'll, I'll rewatch that third round and I'm just anticipating that head kick. But the way Carlos goes in there, hits the one, two, hits the slip after the two and then comes up and over, um, George's counter with the head kick and then to see the look on George's face as he falls back and the way Condit flies all over him which was a mistake he should have let car or he should have let GSP get back up but 
hey, how many guys can say that they hurt, rocked, and knocked down GSP? I probably would have gotten excited and jumped on him too. Um, but then ultimately get swept by GSP and then GSP rounds out the fight, but still was a, and at that time that was, that was probably the most exciting GSP fight that he had in a really long time. Um, and then obviously after that goes on this big long skid, which is not even evident of, of, of his career, um, besides the Robbie Lawler fight, which I still think he won to this day. Um, I mean, what he left in that, in that cage with Robbie Lawler at the end of the day was, um, something special and and again that's another fight that i'll go to if i need to feel something i'll go back to that fifth round and i'll, I'll go to that last minute and i'll just watch those guys pour everything out into each other and then you know hang on the cage after because they literally have nothing left they can't even hold their hands up to sway the judges like a, what a lot of people do um they just ha they had nothing left and again that's what you want to see out of your fighters you don't want to see them leave anything um you know, bottled up. You want to see them um, express everything in that cage, and that's what you got that night. And so it's it's moments like that GSP, like the uh, like the Robbie Lawler, like the Dung Young Kim, like the Dan Hardy, like his run in WEC. That's what makes Carlos Condit a fucking legend. Um, there's just no there there there's no debating it. Again, I I love I still to this guy to to this day love old school aggressive forward fighters i mean that that's what this sport was built on just um you know he's gonna he's an og for sure one of the most exciting fighters of all time he's on he should be on anybody's top 10 list um there's there's nothing bad you can say about that guy never said anything bad about anybody anytime he was hurt he just took it on the chin and got into the cage um rarely ever pulled out of fights nothing bad you can say about carlos condit absolutely nothing bad you and, and and you know i'm gonna get to joey b in a second here but both of those guys are stand-up real fighters um not not saying that their game is stand-up but i mean their their character they're both just they never had excuses for anything they always took all they they always gave their best effort into the fight um always made exciting fights and there's nothing more you could ask in a fighter than what you got from those two guys. Um, and it's sad, but it also makes me happy that they don't have to do this anymore um, because they both are past um, you know, their peak. Moving on to Joey B. You know, a lot of people don't realize like that guy fought at 135 for so long because there was no 125-pound division, and he was beating guys way bigger than him, um, and his only two losses at 135 were Dominic Cruz, and he beat everybody else everybody else i mean we're talking we're talking he beat um eddie wineland um he beat uh who else did he beat at 135 let's see look at he beat uh jeff curran danny martinez honey yaya mcgill he beat the shit out of Miguel torres after he lost his belt and then tapped him out um i mean he beat everybody at 135 and he, he only came up short against dominant cruz um, and, uh, the second fight, like the title fight was actually a, uh, was actually a split decision that almost went in the way of, um, Joey B, but just came up just a little bit short. I think it was 48, 47 across the board going each way. If I can remember correctly. Um, let me see if I can find it. Uh, no, that's the wrong fight. Uh, 
WC50, here we go. Uh, yeah, uh, 47, 48 for Benavidez, 48, 47, and 49, 46 for Cruz. So um, two, two 47, 48s, or 48, 48, 47s on both sides, and then one 49, 46. So, um, yeah, I mean, he, he was he was outstanding. And then obviously moves to 125 and pretty much beats everybody except for DJ for the longest time. Um, even beating, like I mean, like look at this. Look at this record at 125. Okay, loses to Johnson, but has 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. 13 wins. 13 wins at 125. Goes on a, in between all the DJ fights. I mean, he had a three fight. Um, he had three fights in between the first two ones. And then goes on a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Six fight winning streak. And I still think I thought he beat Pettis, but Pettis ended up getting the split decision. So that really could have been one, two, three, four, five, six, eight, nine, ten fights in a row before getting another fucking title fight, which ultimately by this point just too far, too far into his game. And Davidson Figueroa was just too much. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and when you talk about when you talk about Joey's character too, when the whole thing with Alpha Male and and TJ and Cody and all that, like. You know, him and Chad really, uh, you know, were just kind of like, and, you know, they were like, hey, listen, I'm going to train here. I love both you guys, and I'm not getting involved. You guys figure out your shit. Where a lot of the other guys kind of pick sides, and, you know, I always think that makes for a worse uh, a worse thing. But, um, you know, never really picked sides and then never really talked about that whole situation publicly, which I think is, is good for them. But, dude, Joey B was a monster. Um, if you're, if you, if you were a small guy and you watched MMA back in the day, Joey B was probably your favorite fighter. Cause again, that guy was beat. He was, I'm not making this comparison in, in the, in the flashy ability that he had, like, but he was kind of like a Fedor in the sense that he was forced to fight guys. He was forced to fight at a weight class that he was way too small for. And he had this speed and agility advantage and he just used it on everybody. And he was kind of the first guy to have like to, to show real power at a at a smaller weight class. It didn't always come through, um, but dude, that dude would just knock certain guys dead, and it would be like, "Fuck, man, that dude's like built so tiny. How is that even possible?" Um, but yeah, I, I'm really happy for those guys. Uh, I'm sad that neither guy, because both of those, especially Joey B. Joey B was probably the closest, probably number one on the on the uh greatest fighter to never win a belt um list i mean i i there's a lot of guys that deserve to be on that list but i think joey might deserve to be number one because for so long like what separated him from number one was so close i mean even that first demetrius johnson fight was a was a split decision like you know one extra punch or one more takedown and you know joey b could have gotten the decision that night and a lot of people thought he actually did win that decision um so again just you know the um the what do you call it the um disadvantages to the um objective scoring in mma has probably hurt um uh joey b the most probably out of any fighter i mean again was uh close to getting a decision over cruz close to getting a decision over Johnson and a close decision anywhere there uh, and, and Pettis and a decision. And, you know, if he would have beat Pettis, I don't think there would have been any denying him another title shot. So um, every time a close split decision away from being the champ, from getting what he always wanted and just could never come up over those split decisions. So 
Um, definitely number one for me and probably, you know, greatest fighter to never win a belt. Um, but already, I think that that was a lecture and a half for me. Um, so I know that was a lot to get through today. Thanks for bearing with me, guys. Remember, subscribe. Make sure you watch the fights this weekend. And most importantly, catch me next week to go over all the madness, all the madness from this weekend. But until then, peace.